and welcome Hello. to episode 10 of Riffs and Scroops. <laughs> I'm really excited that it's our 10th episode. I feel like Ten. it's come really quickly. It has. We made our first handful of episodes miles in advance. And then the last six have just been like, boom, boom, boom. Boosh, boosh, boosh. Straight up, straight up, straight up. Amber, I had a right palaver coming on today. Yeah. Um. So in the week since we last recorded, I, at one point, moved something on my desk as such my microphone fell out of the blooming i just left it on the sand since the last episode and uh fell off the what's it landed on the floor and i went i know that's landed on the floor i'm gonna put that somewhere safe fuck knows where it's gone um oh i do that all the time being me um i have enough microphones that's not a problem so i picked up my second microphone before we came on and uh, pl- plugged it in and then just ripped it apart by accident because it was a cheap piece of crap that someone gave me. That's why it was a spare. So I've got my other other spare, um, which I'm talking through today. And not either of my posh ones, neither of which are charged. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so what's the point? This is this is one that um, our ex-drummer rubbed on his bum once. So that's oh, why it's my oh, extra delicious. extra spare. <laughs> Yummy. Um, we were mentioning as we were setting up compressors and without going into the whole story, the other yeah. day we were watching like slightly nostalgic movies. So all pre 2000. And I ke- we kept having that thing where as soon as people were talking, it felt really quiet and you turn it up. But then as soon as there was any action or yep. any music, it felt fucking way too loud and it was insane and i turned to my boyfriend i was like why is this happening and he was like they didn't have very good compressors back in the day and i was like oh okay thanks well the other thing is that now our speakers produce more bass bass is that why every trailer starts with i hate it when i see that in a trailer i'm like i'm not giving this all my money i refuse (laughs) child tell you tell you just a little there's a tip that mixing engineers have just a really simple simple basic one that every mixing engineer will do yeah um once they finish the mix if it sounds good they'll go out put it on their phone and listen to it in their car because car speakers are like the, the 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 like metric by which you measure how good a mix has gone and usually car speakers put a load of bass in in modern cars anyway oh. so i had a problem that i wasn't mixing with headphones i was mixing with my speakers my speakers in it as in my studio monitors in here don't produce much bass which means that all my mixes were getting loads of bass loads out. of bass that you didn't and so realize, you have to yeah. yeah so you have to jiggle it about so there we go anyway amber amber we have we have a theme for, for I'm quite excited episode. about it this week, you know. And do you know why it's worked out really well? Go on. Because this is episode ten, <gasps> and what does ten made up of? So now, now the people at home won't understand what that means. But Amber, explain why, why that's significant. So this week, both Cole and I have prepared um, a little mini group of five things that we love and we're going to talk about why uh personally whenever people try to get me to say my favorite musical i i literally glitch like a robot and have a meltdown because i we've mentioned this before musicals are such a broad broad genre so i've chosen a subgenre. so i'm going to talk about my top five childhood musicals obviously specific to me and when i was a child and we'll talk about that more later so i said to cole i want to chat about five musicals i really really loved 
growing up. So Cole, you're going to do the same with albums and you're going to mm. tell us about five albums that you really, really loved growing up. That's so we can one. just we can just tennis it back and forth. I'm sure we'll have opinions on each other's albums. Yeah. I'm really worried that I won't Boom. know any of the ones that you mentioned. Totally, and I'll feel totally like fine. an utter noob. You know that horrible feeling that we all got as teenagers when we didn't know what someone was talking about. I still That's get all right. that. That's all right. I, I have that constantly, but I, I give an air that I, 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 I do. It's partially the accent, I think. Just people just assume you know what you're talking about. I have no idea, but I do. I do have nerdy knowledge about you know my albums and things, so that's that's fun. And I'll, I'll talk to you about that. And you can you know call me out when I clearly don't know something. How about that? Love it. Okay, you go first. Tell us the first oh, oh, album oh. you want to talk about. Okay, I uh, yeah, I've, I've prepared kind of five albums that uh, meant a lot to me growing up. Now they're not my favourite albums. Some of them are. Well, okay. some of th- they're some of my favourite albums, to but be honest. this is the thing. You can but, never definitively say your favourite yeah, album. It's they like, have different... It's like, you know... It, it, it's impossible. Like, I can't name my favourite singer or my favourite song, my favourite band, my favourite album. It doesn't, doesn't work like that. Exactly. Um, you know, I, I once saw a really good um, bit of wisdom that your favourite album, uh, your favourite song is the one you're listening to at the moment. Because yeah. that's why you listen to it. Yeah, You know, for sure. Um, so... We're going to start off Cole buying his first proper album. Now, it's not actually the first album I bought. The first album I bought was the Ghostbusters soundtrack. Good choice. Um, for drama in year eight. Love because it. Because I was doing something you that needed a Ghostbusters theme. You bought an album theme. before year eight? Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Anyway, carry um, on. I hadn't. I haven't. I just... Um, I was I, I was late to buying and consuming music. I um, By year eight, I, I got... had like three busted albums, just saying. <laughs> Three busted albums. Were there busted. three busted albums? Yes, by the there time were three busted eight? albums. <laughs> and three busted members. Yes, very good. Yeah, that was that was a bit of that was my background knowledge oh, coming in there. Amber. I saw them live in year seven, but I digress. Do carry on. Your <sighs> first, the first album you want to say. First album I want to talk about. So it's a first like rock album I bought, which was uh, actually a compilation album, which is Led Zeppelin Mothership. Now, Great. Um, Robert Plant's blooming good. He's the singer of Led Zeppelin. Um, he's all right. Well, he's, he's he's got a great voice, but he kind of shredded it a bit during um during his period, um in in Zeppelin. Zeppelin were a huge huge deal, and they were just honestly they were just fantastic. And at the time, um, you know, we think of uh obviously you know you had the Beatles completely changed the face of 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 rock music in the sixties, and then you ended mm-hmm. up with people well pop music and rock music in the sixties, um, mm-hmm. and up until then, like rock bands they didn't really last more than like a few years um and the beatles burned out actually pretty quick when you when you look at their career but um after that you had people like Jimi hendrix then everyone was like wow Jimi hendrix is great and then you had three huge bands um turn up in britain after that which were um sabbath uh zeppelin and deep purple black sabbath led zeppelin and deep purple um <laughs> in case that wasn't just clear. just in case you know and um led zeppelin were probably the most prolific of those bands um you know everyone knows some led zeppelin to the point mm. that stairway to heaven has been banned in all guitar shops please stop playing it oh my god that is lovely um yeah they're just really good you know um interestingly if you listen to any of led zeppelin's back catalogue all of their riffs are stolen. Everything's stolen. The whole lot is just pinched off someone else. But it's still great. And, you know, most art is a history of people nicking stuff from other people. But it's all stolen from from uh, blues artists like Lead Belly and Robert Johnson and people like that. So, fun stuff. Amber, what is your first uh, 
cheesy music collector you would like to talk about? So I've tried to do a bit of a top five countdown. It's it's hard for me because I love musicals so much. But I'm going to say to today, based on the past couple of days of thought, my number five childhood musical is The Sound of Music. I mean, I don't really need to introduce The Sound of Music. It's so, so, so iconic. Uh, reasons why I love The Sound of Music. I fell in love with the family. I remember being a little girl and who who wanted to be an actor for as long as my living memory expands. And I remember thinking, oh, um, if that came to the West End this year, I'd play Greta because she's the five-year-old. And I remember being like, one day I'll be 16. And I was so excited <laughs> at the idea of being 16 because then I could play Liesl and sing nice. 16 going on 17. So... I really fell in love with the Von Trapp family. Um, I'm, I put it at the bottom of my top five because Rude. I remember being a child who fast forwarded through like quite hefty sections because <laughs> I, I didn't I didn't really care about anything that didn't directly involve Maria or the Von Trapps. <laughs> so like the really long car journey that Baroness and Uncle Max have. I remember being a kid with my little video player, like, yeah, no one cares. And fast forwarding through it. I didn't really care about the Baroness. She's she's in there as a fucking, what's the word? She's an obstacle because we're all rooting for Maria. So anyway, right. I, it's at the bottom of this because there were bits that as a child I found kind of boring. And even re-watching it as an adult, I'm sat here going, I don't know how much this serves the film um but it's you know it's made in the 60s you had a lot of like long conversations on car journey so it's it's a product of its time i didn't realize because i was a child when you're like seven you don't really understand what nazi germany is you don't get why oh the dad's being called to the army and that's a bad thing and i and i didn't quite follow i grew up and realized it's because it was nazi germany and he didn't want to go and fight for hitler um so i kind of i remember re-watching it as a teenager and messaging my mom like this movie is hella political she was like yeah babe Uh, (laughs) i was like i didn't know that so i kind of i appreciate that about it julie andrews just absolutely nails it from the first the hills are alive right to the like ending when they're climbing over the mountains it's like i don't think it was written to be but there it's very much a showcase of what that woman's voice could do so like even at the end of doa deer um when they're going up and down the stairs so it's that final um that brings us back to and all the kids are running up and down the stairs and she's looking right down the camera and she does this three-part note that literally ends up like "Ah!" and it was sick Every time I was like, like nice. her voice, her vocal range, her ability to like do solos and harmonize. It's just stunning. It's just absolutely stunning. stunning. Um, I think it's really beautifully filmed, you know, especially for the fact that it was made in the 60s, like the shots of the Alps and yeah. Austria. And, and there's just so many little just beautiful nugget moments. Like I love all the songs. Um I think maybe the one I loved the least was Climb Every Mountain. Again, that was one. Of, it's a beautiful song, but it went on for a while. Huh. But as a little kid, like 16 going on 17, loved it. Favorite things, loved it. High on a hill with a lonely girl to lay. Loved all of yeah, it. Like, yeah. it's, it, I mean, Maria as a character, she she injects like fun and life and music into the lives of these children. And I think that I like shared that with them. And 
yeah for all these reasons it's one of my favorite musicals of all time and i need to we need to have a little moment because actually funny we should bring this up christopher Plummer died a few days ago yes and he played captain von trapp there we are so he was the main the main John, male he must have been getting on it. i don't know how he old was he 91 was. he was 91 uh, that's but a good like, innings 91 yeah for sure and like even then with him there were there were some really beautiful moments his his like song in it is edelweiss it's the one where all the kids have are singing together in the parlor and then he picks up a guitar and he sings edelweiss and there's this really beautiful um detail which is so he's got seven children and after their birth mum died he became this like emotionally closed off man and when he starts singing edelweiss his eldest remembers it and sings it with him Hmm. which implies that that's who he was once upon a time and that's the dad that she remembers and they sing it together oh it's just so beautiful sweet it's so sweet yeah when i heard about him dying i was like i don't know if i can listen to edelweiss right now i don't know how ready i am so that's my number five the sound of music absolute classic Lush. 30 years before I was born and I still love it to this day. Boom. I I have so many things in the 60s that I love. Oh, which brings us on. What a segue oh, to another to, 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 to another band. Out. So You'd so you know late 60s it. early 70s. Um I feel like I didn't talk enough about how you know about Led Zeppelin and the ins and outs of them really. So that's going to come on into Black Sabbath. So with Led Zeppelin they were effectively a supergroup, right? And they were recruited from um um, you know, like the Yardbirds, Jimmy Page from the Yardbirds, and they kind of got the best people around, and they were like scoping out for for you know who would be great in this new band. And Jeff Beck was nearly the guitarist for Led Zeppelin. Um, and there's uh, and Keith Moon was weird enough the the um going to be the drummer. And there's a, a a track called Beck's Bolero where you can hear Jimmy Page, um, Jeff Beck and Keith Moon and John Paul Jones, who's the bass player of Zeppelin, um, um, playing this one track together. And uh, Keith Moon knocked one of the mics over halfway through the recording, and suddenly the cymbals disappear halfway through the recording. But it's worth checking out, because that could have become Led Zeppelin, but instead it became the people um, who it was. John Bonham, John Paul Jones, uh, Jimmy Page, and Robert Plant. Now, John Bonham, from you know Birmingham, Midlands kind of area, um, would often play... Um, I can't remember the one venue, but there was this one venue where he would play every other week and he'd always be with a different band. The reason being that John Bonham hit the, hit the skins really hard and used to smash the skins and uh, rip the skins. And I think I spoke about that in a previous episode. Now, interestingly, mm. on the opposite weeks, the odd opposite fortnights, Tony Iommi would typically be playing with his band on the same stage. And... Yeah. Um, so the next album I'm going to talk about is Black Sabbath Paranoid, which is like the biggest album by um, Black Sabbath or, or was. It was their breakout album, um, okay. the highest charting one they ever did. So um, on one side, you've got, you know, people like uh, Led Zeppelin, who are kind of a bit middle class. Um, actually, John Bonham probably wasn't. But, you know, they they were a little bit more like refined in some ways, um, quite intellectual in, in a lot of their their like content and um on kind of a super group and on the other side you've got these four working class lads from um from from birmingham all factory workers and 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 working abattoirs and stuff black sabbath and i quite like that 
And the interesting thing is that though there were those three big bands at the time kind of pushing hard rock forward and they were all kind of responsible for heavy metal, what heavy metal became afterwards. But really the band that kind of invented what metal and laid the blueprint for what metal would become was Black Sabbath. And the album Paranoid is kind of the album that really did that. And interestingly, there's a there's a really famous critic called Lester Bangs who was immensely famous and said it was shit. It said it was Clapton-esque riffing and but but it was it was crap and they all mucked about and did improvisational sections but nothing was in sync and he was a bloody moron because everyone loved that album and then they wrote some of these huge tracks that became hugely significant is it just and me or is it really satisfying when a critic is wrong i love that i just love it so I much read, um, i read something else recently and i was like huh, you're a knob um <laughs> paranoid's paranoid's a brilliant album and interestingly the track paranoid which most people probably know he wrote it uh, basically they were like we need something short <laughs> we need a single we needed something less than three minutes and so everyone else went out and then tony Omi sat with his guitar and wrote it in about 15 minutes and then they just um <laughs> ozzy came in did a bit of mumbling over it made up some words they were rubbish and then the bass player rewrote them and uh, Giza Butler, who's a fantastic bass player. And then you ended up with Paranoid, which was this huge, huge hit for them. I'm going to um, enjoy listening to this episode back and listening to all the music you mention. Yeah, there we go. Paranoid. Paranoid's like the lead track. And weirdly, like a lot of big albums, it's one where when you first listen to it, you go, oh, I love that single. I love that one track. And then it's it's always the same. It's like a bit like um, Thin Lizzy with Boys Are Back In Town. You know, that's their big yeah. song. Yeah. that everyone knows by Thin Lizzy. But weirdly, if you listen to the albums and you get used to the albums, it's the one you find you skip because yeah, yeah. you know that one and you're more interested in the weird stuff. In the rest. So they, Absolutely. you know, they also did, you probably won't know the rest of the tracks from that, that album, but things like War Pigs, you might know. But you can maybe. argue that that's true with a lot of albums. I mean, the two that just came to my head just because they happen to be two that I love, um, I wouldn't say I skip it, but when if I was to sit and talk to someone about the Bat Out of Hell album, yeah. I wouldn't talk to you about the song Bat Out of Hell. It's an amazing no. song and I yeah, love yeah, it. Yeah. But I talk to you about the journey of the album and about the relationship yeah. it depicts. And I talk to you about about the juxtaposition between um, Paradise by the Dashboard Light and Two Out of Three Ain't. But I love That's that That's a great album. song. I it's love Paradise of... by the Dashboard Light. It's so good. Cole, have we never talked about this? I can see Paradise by the Dashboard Light. It's one I of my all-time song. favorite songs you and i need to duet it together one day oh I'm my god that'd be so good stop right there i gotta know, I know right now. now anyway sorry guys sorry i can't i can't help it this That's is why fine. people That's get annoyed great. with me <laughs> anyway such a good song the journey yeah, of great. the album is very is very rarely the the title track and i'm agreeing with you and just using bad out of hell as a reason no it's, cool. it's a great album um it's really good Cool. Are you ready for number boom, four? Boom, boom, boom. Yeah, why not? I mean, Sabbath went on to do a lot more cool stuff and they ended up having a, a singer, Dio, who is actually a better singer, really. But really? that one album is um, a really good... It's a bloody good album. Anyway, Great. Amber, tell me tell me about your number four. Okay, so um, I've made my number four and, and it, it is with heavy heart because there are lots of musicals that deserve to be in this top five. But as I said, it's the list I came up with today. Uh, number four is Willy Wonka. The Gene Wilder, oh. Willy Wonka film. I mean, I, I that's definitely my favourite. You know, right? The, the, of it's the two. incredible. It's so okay. Good. And um, the, 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 the one scene, you know the scene, the, the, the scary, that was terrifying. The, Scare- the, 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 I, the tunnel. On, okay. I rewatched that film this year and I think it was the first time I watched that scene start to finish because it freaked me out so much as a kid. I used to like, 
I, and it's so, again, it's so juxtaposed with the beauty and joy of pure imagination. So reasons I love Willy Wonka. Um, I think I've, I think there's a part of me that I like a good morality story. And, and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is, is one of the ultimate children's morality stories. Each of these kids, they're borderline caricatures. It's almost a sketch show for children because I remember being a little kid and being like, I know that girl. I know that brat. And I know that that um arsehole who who won't turn off the telly and i know the girl who's you know all of these things it was it was really weirdly relatable and fun for for a child to watch so it was clear it was fun i I love the imagery i love so much about it i love um gene wilder obviously makes that film what it is i love um his voice particularly in come with me yeah something about that like you don't think of him as a singer yeah. But um, something about that just like is absolutely also, perfect. Also, those lyrics. Can we talk about those lyrics for a second? If you want to view paradise, simply, simply look, around look around and, and view, and view it. it. Anything you want to do it, want to change the world, there's nothing to it. That is poetry right there. And that is a beautiful message to put in a children's musical. And I love his in acting in it. In a weird sense, it. considering he's he's immensely rich, it's kind of a capitalist dream. It, I just, just suddenly thought of me. He's this massive, massive chocolatier who owns this colossal factory and has slaves. But it's true. <laughs> it is true. I mean, Willy Wonka is that. He's he's the American dream boy, isn't he? Yeah. He was a poor yeah, little is. boy who then went on and became became this empire no you're right you're totally right that's a a slightly darker take to have on it well no no no. uh, it's not a darker take it's a fact so the actual so Roald Dahl did not support the making of this movie and that's why it's called Willy Wonka and not Charlie and the Chocolate Factory Factory. so he was really frustrated and I I, I don't know too much about this but I know that the Impa Loompas are supposed to represent like a certain level of um, slavery but what's the word where you take advantage of someone what like a um, appropriate not quite appropriation but yeah taking advantage uh c- like capitalizing off someone else yeah yeah do you know yeah. like profiteering off the vulnerable and that yeah, is yeah, what yeah. Willy wonka does exploitation um, exploitation thank you that's exactly Got you what back, i was mate. talking Don't worry. about but um if we actually come back to that musical i think gene wilder's character he balances the fun candy man that we all want to go and visit yeah, yeah. with this really sinister Oh, don't yeah, leave, yeah, yeah. don't leave your kid alone with him, kind of thing. Like I don't, I'm not saying he's creep, but like you know, just his his slight madness. That there's, there's hint, something like chaotic that neutral about chaos him. To yeah. him is like you know when they're all in on the like the phone, they're on this weird Wonka car and like soap is coming out of every orifice and he's just singing to himself it's like but why man and his office everything is like halved and again it's like but why but he's he's this weird tortured artist character that was really accessible for apparently, kids and- apparently that role he does at the start was was gene wilder just improvising you Which know when he, okay so right right at the start where where he turns up oh, and the he's role walking is in the forward and he walks, yeah. walks up and he does this forward, forward roll and does like that yeah and they're all like because yeah! now the actors were expecting him to do it my mum 
like owes the ma- makers of that film such a solid because i i she, they've openly told me i was actually quite a well-behaved child i i i didn't i wasn't really a tantrum heavy kid i wasn't that particularly bratty i think we've said this before i was more of a crier if something Aww. was wrong i kind of cried but Fair. my point is if i ever like even got close to being bratty my mum would call me veruca and it would it would oh, light a fire oh, under my ass. I'd be salt. like, oh, I'm not like that. And she'd be like, well, prove it. And it, it worked every time. <laughs> um, but that's the thing. It's very relatable. It's so accessible to kids. The music is beautiful. Yeah, the yeah. Oompa Loompa songs are great. Um, but also, like, I've got a golden ticket. Grandpa that's a Joe. great. I love that one. Right? Like, I've got a golden ticket. But also, Veruca's song is fantastic. When she's like, I want the world. I want the whole the world. world. I want to lock it all up in my pocket. It's amazing. It's and then just lock it all up in my pocket. All these little things it's about It's my the bar of chocolate. Give it to me. It's my yeah. bar of chocolate. Give it to me. Do 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 do. No. Oh, it's and the so fact that she good. was a bad egg. Oh, I love it. It's so creative. It's so Seems fun. Like she's a bad egg. Oh, yeah. I just I forgot yeah, how right? good that is. Gene Wilder. Just while we're here, Gene Wilder. Um, there is a video of this. Gene Wilder is one of the great kind of comic actors of that period truly yes, yes. and there is a video that you can see that's just called like gene wilder's timing and his timing is just absolutely phenomenal he really it knows is. when to deliver those punchlines and those and those responses have you seen see no evil hear no evil have i seen, seen such what? a good film right oh my god wait what if i shout in your ear <laughs> he's, like, <laughs> and he's like he's like wait wait i think i can i think i can finally hear something oh my god you've opened my ears can you hear me? Can you hear me? No, I can't. I'm deaf, you ignoramus. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so good. When they're trying to get the mug shot of him, and so he needs oh, to lip so read. Good. So he t- so he nudges him, and he turns to the side and goes, "What?" And he's like, "She says, look forward, okay." And then, but then he can't hit. Oh, oh it's yeah. just what the comic timing <laughs> turn, in that yeah, film so good. is genius. I love the driving scene. You know, oh, Gene no. Wilder never got royalties for Willy Wonka. He got paid. His contract had a set fee. After that set fee, he did not get anything. No oh royalties. Oh, my God. He is that. owed hell. Well, he's dead now. Again, RIP, Gene Wilder. Is it, is it I was Richard sad Pryor? that day. Richard Pryor? Is that the what guy? about Richard Pryor? He's the one who's plays the back. Is he? Wonka, look that up now. Oh, what in? Oh, in See No Evil, Hear No Evil. Yeah, yeah I mean, we're talking. I can totally picture his film. face. I've got, I've got my internet I'm sure. turned off because I'm Richard sick Pryor. of getting calls while we try to record. Um, oh yeah, it's so in yeah. here. That's no, my um, number the, the, four. That, the, I got to just say one scene <laughs> right at the start because of See No Evil, Hear No Evil. Just because I've got Gene Wilder in my brain. It's that Richard Richard Pryor when his 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 um he's talking to his girlfriend on the subway. And he goes, "What? I'm black." <laughs> <laughs> on the subway. <laughs> so funny. There's a, oh, there's so okay. Funny. There's a bit in New Girl that really made me laugh. Where a character, for context, it is important. A black character has an episode where they realise he's colourblind, right? Yeah, yeah. And he says that this table that is a dark brown colour. He says, "Oh, that's green." And his friend goes, "Hey, man, what colour do you think you are?" And. Uh, <laughs> I just found that hilarious. I was oh, like, fucking comedy genius, mate. Anyway, so that's my that's my number four. That's my number four. Boom. Your turn. Wow. Oh god. Okay. So I'm on. Uh, I'm number three now because I went first. So yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. yeah I one of the first albums was was Mothership by Led Zeppelin, and then um, when I was about fifteen, sixteen, I was obsessed with Black Sabbath. I love Black Sabbath, and then um, around that time, I started getting into Iron Maiden. Um, so I've picked the first Maiden album I bought. 
because okay. I love Maiden. It's not my favourite album Maiden. by them, but it holds a special place in my heart. And weirdly, it's one of the least popular albums, apparently. Oh, by them. really? Um, called Fear of the Dark. Actually, it's probably not one of the very least, but, you know, it's it's not like up there with, with, with the big names, the big name albums by them, like, mm. um, you know, Number of the Beast and Power Slave and all those yeah. ones. Um, but Fear of the Dark... Um, it, it is still a great album. It's still a great Iron Maiden album. And I think it's the last album that Bruce Dickinson did with them before leaving for a while when he was replaced by Blaze Bailey. I'm not sure if that's entirely true. It might be the first one he did when he was back. I think it was the last one he did before he left. Um, here's an interesting thing. So um, it was released within two weeks of my birth. So that's oh, fun. That's nice. And um, Bruce Dickinson... Um, of Iron Maiden, one of the greatest metal singers of all time. In my yeah. in my opinion, one of the very, very greatest singers of all time. Um, and he uh, was one of my kind of vocal heroes. And one of my other heroes is, weirdly, Rob Halford of Judas Priest, who's kind of in a similar vein. And what's interesting is that within two weeks of my birth, either side, that album was released and Rob Halford left Judas Priest, which is just kind of weird little coincidence to me because uh, I was born around that time when all these singers were doing such interesting things. Um, it's a great album. Uh, it has a couple of really, really, really popular tracks on it. Fear of the Dark itself is one of the more popular Iron Maiden songs. I also really like Afraid to Shoot, Afraid to Shoot Strangers. Um, I like anything that's really pacey, so it's one of the really pacey ones. And Iron Maiden's kind of broken up into kind of different eras, of what sounds kind of similar to each other. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So mm. you have the first two albums, which were the first singer um, on record, at least, which is Paul Diano. So he's not as technically good a singer as Bruce Dickinson, which he used to perfectly admit himself. Um, but those albums are a lot more raw. They're a little more bluesy in places. They're not as polished, but they're really fun. There's something charming about that. I find that with loads of loads of bands that sometimes their early stuff, even if it's not as you know well put together in a kind of commercial sense, still really interesting, really worth listening to. Then after that, you had the my kind of favourite era, which is that Bruce Dickinson era where it was like Number of the Beast, Peace of Mind, Power Slave, which are like some of the biggest Iron Maiden albums that sold really, really well. I had this huge influence on bands around the time. Um, in the 80s when they first started um, with that lineup, then you have this kind of later period of um, Iron Maiden. Well, you have the Blaze Bailey era, which actually happened after this album. Um, but they got more experimental as they went along. And then they... I mean, this album was released in the 90s. So you've got to think at the time, you've got like Kurt Cobain and Nirvana and you've got Pearl Jam and you've got, you know, Alice in Chains and, and bands like yeah, that. Yeah. And um, still, I mean, were making these great albums and they were selling really, really well. And this one's kind of a more recent um, type one. And it's really where they started moving towards it being a different kind of band. And then you had the Blaze Bailey era and then you had the more modern era where they have these big, grandiose, really long tracks. Um, and they'd never like been like, oh, let's never do any short tracks. But after this album, they started doing these much longer 10-minute tracks, um, like on the whole and we're a bit more experimental and it's all really fun and all the eras of iron maiden sound really different to me um but they're all really fun and interesting and uh this was my first time really really getting into bruce dickinson as a singer it was my first time being introduced to all this complex harmonic stuff that they were doing all these galloping riffs because steve harris is like one of the best like kind of writers right. songwriters in, in in rock and metal i think he's 
Can I ask a question? Is galloping riff an actual term? Okay, so everyone will use this term. In fact, it'd be really handy if the I had a guitar. The reason I ask, before present. you explain properly, the reason I ask is I remember being a teenager and getting into Iron Maiden, and I distinctly remember saying, I feel like I'm riding our yes. horse. Yes, and do you know why that is? Because Okay. And I remember jokingly on a train with my, like, with some friends going like that while we had our headphones in. That is a Steve Harris staple. And that's why the William Tell Overture sounds like it was written by Steve Harris, the bass player from Iron Maiden. So Steve Harris is is the epicenter of Iron Maiden. He's the one who's always been there. And he's he's the one who's really had... He's the heart. ...contributed to everything, really. Yeah. Um, And, you know, other people have been involved in the thing, but really he's, 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 like, you know the head honcho which is really unusual because you don't usually get that with a bass player um and it's i think personally one of the strengths of um... he was the bass player that actually contributed something artistically <laughs> someone should write that down he he's 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 You're probably such a bitch. he's such a bet he's probably the best bass player in in rock and metal music i think any bass player in heavy music will cite steve harris as, as someone who's really you know a prominent figure um in that and galloping riffs so horses to us they sound that's what um the william yeah. tell i know i know i can play on the piano so um i learned it on guitar there's a video of me doing that in a punk style you might like it but that i used rhythm... to when i was younger do this with my nails a lot i hope you can pick it up i used to go like this i mean i do it now i in don't fact, know why it's so satisfying there's something oh look there's a horse going past It's being really pursued by another horse. Anyway, I love that. Radio the problem, drama. The problem is um, <laughs> that, that that became Iron Maiden's thing, right? So yeah. now you can't do that. It's a, kind of a shame that you can't do that because I really love that rhythm because I love things that get me energised and get me pumped and stuff. But yeah. that rhythm became like associated with Iron Maiden because right. uh, Steve Harris, uh, Run to the Hills is the one... Um, yeah, that's what I was thinking of. That's exactly what I was thinking of. That's 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 so no, then whenever can't. I listened to Iron Maiden, I was like, I'm back on this fucking imaginary horse again. It's not like every song has <laughs> that, but there's a lot of songs no, that no, do. you see what I mean. Um, and Run to the Hills was, yeah. Yeah, Run to the Hills, is, that's their big single. So, yeah. you know, it's always been their biggest single. And weirdly, it's now one of my, like I said, one of my least favourite Iron Maiden songs. I still love it. it but yeah. it's like, I, I love some of the more odd ones and some of the more interesting ones, like uh, Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, which is about the poem... Uh, I love the poem. Samuel Taylor I Coleridge, my so namesake, much. Coleridge. Um, and they wrote that as a song. Um, what, what are you laughing at? What are you laughing I, at? I have a funny story to tell you about the Rome of the Ancient Mariner. Good. You, that's good. Um, tell me the finish story. Finish what you were saying. Finish no, what you were saying. Just, you know, um, that's one of those weird, slightly proggy. Um, it's like a 13, 14 minute long song. Um, and it has some genuine quotes and Steve Harris does loads of really interesting stuff where he drags the pick along the bass string so it sounds like the creaking of a ship. Loads of interesting yeah. stuff in that song. Really, really so, good. So, um, are you a fan of Firefly? I just watched the last episode of Firefly uh, 
literally on Sunday and we're going to okay, watch Serenity on Valentine's Day. Okay, that's a whole other Day. thing that I think we should talk about on another episode because I love it. But there's Butterfly's a moment, great. there's a moment Take where there's a funny up. moment where someone says, hey, that person that you're protecting is an albatross. And the albatross. captain goes, and the captain goes, um, if I remember correctly, an albatross is good luck until some idiot shoots it. Exactly. And then he, he turns to someone and says, that's right, I read. So I watched that when I was 16 and had my first like proper boyfriend. And oh. I was like, oh, that's hilarious because of the rhyme of the ancient mariner. And my kind of boyfriend who liked Iron Maiden and D&D, you two would be such good mates, um, was like, I don't get it. And I was like, oh, who oh. is it by? And it was bugging me. And I was there going, it wasn't Keats. It wasn't Wordsworth. Oh, I'll remember Iron it. Iron Maiden. And like, no, no, no. <laughs> and then like an hour later, we were kissing and I stopped kissing him and went, Coleridge! <laughs> Oh my God. I can't believe I've never told you that story. <laughs> and he had no idea why I'd done that. He didn't know who, who Coleridge was as a writer. There oh. we go. Oh, that's good. That's so right. funny. My number three. Yeah, yeah, you go for it. My musical number, childhood musical number three is Oliver. Ooh. I fucking love Oliver. I don't think I've seen tell it all you the way why. through. Tell me why. I mean, it is long. I get it. Um, you just love it's... the oppression of the working classes. <laughs> Um, although no. it's, it's funny you should say that because I did realise while writing this down that the pattern in a lot of my favourite childhood musicals yeah. is a child surviving in a in a difficult world. That seems to be the the, the pattern throughout all of yeah, these. Sound of mu- so that. far, Sound of Music, um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Charlie and Chocolate Factory, and Oliver, and Oliver, and that will give you a clue as to my top two. But let's not yet. Oh, oh, okay. Oh. The reason, the main thing I love about Oliver is it. It absolutely nails the big group musical numbers. And again, let's not forget how long ago that was made and they did not spare an expense. And it's it's not just one song. Consider Yourself, Fine Life. Oh, that's a great um, song, yeah. Who Will Buy, Um Papa. They all have this element of one person starts singing and everyone around them, like, instinctively knows the song and yeah, joins yeah. in and is ready with their harmonies. Love and it, it's really based in what was my fantasy world as a kid. It's that idea of one person starts singing, we all join in and it's fantastic. And it nails oh, it better than any musical, good, in my opinion. Um, it was also really serious. You know, Nancy, Nancy is such a heartbreaking character. Nancy introduced me as a child to topics like domestic abuse, um, to being exploited, to, you know, what she went through really broke my heart. Mm. And like, I remember listening to As Long As He Needs Me and as a child being like, Nancy, you're wrong. Get out of there, please. Yeah. Like she was just and so- And that's a good thing to, to, to that's a good way to t- show that to kids. That's a, it's a really good way. Yeah, it's like, I mean, you know you that she's ha- like, you know, she, she doesn't belong, yeah. She doesn't belong there, but and also she she goes against it all. She she's like says to Bill Sykes, "I thieved for you when I was half his age, and I've been doing your dirty work ever since." And Oliver shows up and and makes her snap out of it a little bit. She she finds something more important, but it does ultimately, you know, spoiler mm. alert: Nancy dies. <laughs> spoiler and, alert. Um, I found it, but this is the thing. I still remember being a little kid, and because I I 
had a very safe, happy childhood, okay? Um, but that moment that he really backhands her and she goes flying into a table, mm. like her whole body went... As a child, I remember how harrowing and serious that was and how mm. vulnerable she was. Um, and then on the other end of the spectrum, you've got... You've got Fagin, who is this hilarious character. Yeah, yeah, Pick yeah. a Pocket or Two was so much fun. Or there's a really underrated song from Oliver is when he's letting Oliver and Dodger go out on their first like outing together and they do be back soon and mm. it, you get his parental love over them and i remember being a little kid and saying to my mom mom is fagan a goodie or a baddie and my mom was like he's naughty because he's a thief but he's a good guy so mm. he's a thief but he is giving these children somewhere to live mm. he's is he grooming them is you know he's a Which complex is an example of really good writing it's because a, exactly. you, you should have multifaceted characters with complex motives and things i, I, I really really is, believe and, in that and Fagan does that brilliantly. Um, mm. My biggest critique, genuinely, of the whole film is Oliver is such a pointless little shit. <laughs> such he a, is such, such a, a bad... I remember as a child shit. thinking that the swear word pussy just meant pussycat and I called him a pussy and my mum was like, Amber, no. I was like, what, mum? He is a pussy. My mum was like, no, 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 you can't say that. Well, <laughs> but well, I well, just... Oh, um... <laughs> Amber, I, I, this is one of my favourite factoids, right? Okay. Is that the word pussy does not derive from reference to the vajayjay. Does it not reference it doesn't. the vajayjay? It's, it's an abbreviation of the word pusillanimous, which used to be in quite comp, com, uh, common usage, which means to be cowardly. So the word pusillanimous oh, means to be cowardly. I'm going to so, just so straight people up call people like pusillanimous. Now, and, 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 you know, people, you know, with, with good intentions like to think it's a, a way that we talk about in a, a negative thing about denigrating women and calling women frail and things, which yeah. absolutely people have thought for too long, etc. And which That's it not, does mean now. Yeah. There are people that do like, that now. And now. Now people mean pussy and they think it means vagina, which is what, what you know, what, yeah, whatever. but what, yeah. my, one of my favourite factoids is that word, um, it, it's not from that. Because it's the word the word out. pussy comes from the word same derivative of pouch, and 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 things like that. Posterior right, things. so like you're hiding pa in a pouch, pouch like or a, a pouch little baby means a, a negative space, uh, like a chalice. Oh. So, um, and vagina means scabbard. If anyone's interested, yeah. But um, well, vagina comes from the Latin word for sheath. Fun fact. There we go. Carry on for a scabbard. Um, so sword. My thing. point. Yeah. My worst. The thing. The reason, and I'll come back to this, and when I get to talk to you, but the reason Oliver is third and not second is because of the character Oliver. He is just such a passive he's a wet fish. little wet blanket piece of shit who didn't even do his own singing why he is he there no he didn't. I didn't even know that a female did his singing like the director's niece did uh, his singing because right. he couldn't sing and also the little boy who played the artful dodger in the movie such a fantastic child actor he had been playing dodger in the west end and um he uh, he famously got impatient with the boy playing oliver because he didn't know what to do where it's like he was just so rubbish i don't know why he got the part but also the part was crap anyway oliver just mm. kind of is a product of the world around him and he he's just he's just a pawn you know like how he doesn't how, enact change within it so much not as, at all not at all yeah. and and every the, uh, all the good bits are the things that happen around him none of it is him tell yeah. me something about the character oliver tell me anything about him as a character I mean, to be fair, I haven't seen Oliver all the way through and I never read it. That's but, um, neither here nor but, there. I mean, uh, that, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, mm -hmm. So he you could, witnesses, I, I could. Doesn't he get saved for a fire? 
Witnessing something is not a characteristic. I know. Oh, no, that's I'm not my telling whole point. you a characteristic. That's, <laughs> I'm agreeing with your point, yeah. but via the root of ignorance. <laughs> yeah. Whereas Dodger, Dodger, you Dodger's know. Dodger's really name, interesting. His you know, name because, is the artful Dodger. He's yeah. he's a sneaky, cheeky, little, clever, little shit rat And boy. again, a multifaceted character. Oh, massively. And you know, and even though I his... know that, having not, you know. Exactly. Nancy. Nancy is maternal. Nancy is vulnerable, but she's also ballsy. She's conflicted. Fake, like they but like yeah, Oliver's the worst part of the whole thing. Okay, that's my number Fuck three. Fuck you, Oliver. Can I can I just comment <laughs> on one thing? I you know can. the actor who played Josh in My Parents Are Aliens, and he really wants to be cast as Fagin. He's a really good singer and he's really cool. I remember him. So that he's actor, really yeah. nice. He's a really cool guy. He's a good actor. So if you're listening, cast he him had, like, in Oliver. Spiky, he had like he spiky wants to be ginger fagin. hair as a little kid, he's, didn't he's he? Got, yeah, yeah. He, he's, he's a ginger guy. He's got long hair well, and an awesome Well, this is going to make you really now. famous. He's really, really jealous, sorry. My brother and like some of his school friends knew the guy who played Fagin in the movie when That's he was so a little cool. old man and they'd they'd go visit him and watch telly with him and stuff like I can't, I can't. I think they knew his grandkid. I can't remember exactly how, but yeah, he was just this really sweet little old man Aww. that they would like that's cool. try and keep an eye on. That's cool. So that's number yeah. three. So um, I'm gonna throw out um, an album by. I, I was really struggling with this album because um, for one thing, there's like two iterations of this band, and the other thing is that all their albums are pretty damn good. Um, especially okay. the ones from my favourite era, at least. So I'm doing ACDC, If You Want Blood, You Got It, which is the live album with Bon Scott Ooh, um, live that album. was released in late 70s. The reason I did it is partially because it's got loads of the best songs from the Bon Scott era on. So um little quick thing, all the songs that you guys probably know, if you're listening yeah. and you've, if you've not listened to ACDC much, are probably the... Um, the most famous ones, at least, will be Brian Johnson, which is the singer who came after Bon Scott. Um, and he's got really great range, really gravelly voice, right? Um, yeah. Great singer, really great singer um, from Newcastle. And he, you know, he did like Back in Black and um, You Shook Me All Night Long, those really big ones. Um, but my favourite era, and by the way, I love his era of ACDC, but my favourite era of ACDC is the Bon Scott era, which is a bit more bluesy. Um, he sounds like a filthy pervert. He's great. He's just got this really kind of kind of sleazy kind of voice and he does all these songs, right? He's got great range as well, really great singer. Mm. And um, had a big problem with alcohol, which was his undoing, sadly, in the end. Um, so when he joined, they were kind of a bit more bluesy. Um, people always say that ACDC... Um, <laughs> Um, released uh, the same 12 albums and Angus Young said, no, we released the same 13 albums. People always forget the one in Australia. <laughs> so ACDC sound like themselves a lot and they found this um, thing that really suited them, which was this Australian kind of pub rock thing. Um, to say they all sound the same is really not quite right. If you listen to the live album that I'm uh, espousing right now, then you should you, you would know that, you know. Um, and I, it, this has also got some of the kind of faster paced ones that I really liked from that era. Um, mm. And one of the reasons I chose it is because as it's a live album, you get a more accurate representation of what the band was actually like. Yeah. Um, and they sound exactly like they do on the record, except, you know, louder and 
uh, it's great and, and you know it's got all the mistakes in it you know it's got all the bits that angus young misses on his guitar when he's running around at 100 miles an hour you know and um it's got all the improvisation stuff and also it's got bon scott being this amazing lyricist because the version of the jack which is a song about getting the clap or the jack being a metaphor <laughs> for, the, for, the, for the clap um so in the studio version that has a certain set of lyrics um yeah. which are um it uses a card game or or, or cards and poker references and, and things like that and blackjack references um as a metaphor for catching an sti <laughs> right right but bon scott changed the lyrics live right on the spot yeah and sang a different version of it and it still has all this sleaze and all this clever stuff in it you know yeah um and it's a really, just a really, really great live version. It's also got like uh, my favorite version of the song "Whole Lot of Rosie," which is a really brilliant song. Um, to be honest, all those songs are bloody great, particularly on that album. I'm going to look at the track list on that album because, oh my god, it's got some of my my favorite bits. Uh, "Whole Lot of Rosie" is one of my favorite songs uh, anyway. It's about how Bon Scott really liked larger women, and um, fat bottom girls. I know fact, that's Queen. I know a guy. I know a guy who knew the the real Rosie because Rosie was a woman, uh, an Australian woman, and um, who who uh, Bon Scott had a thing with. And uh, I know an Australian blues rock guitarist called Rob Tognoni, mm. um, who had met the original Rosie, and she'd lost loads of weight by the time he met oh, her, so no, he didn't realise it was her. Um, but yeah, forty two, thirty nine, fifty six. You, you could say she got it all. Man, I love that song. Uh, it's really really good. And oh, I just love ACDC so much. They're so good. I haven't like properly gone back and listened to ACDC in a long while because really, like now, I listen to a lot more modern bands and I like uh, people who experiment with more stuff. But there's something just so perfect about what they accomplished. And people think that ACDC were nobodies until Back in Black, which was which is the third best-selling album of all time, right? Of all time, of all bands, of everyone. Wow. Um, I never knew that. It's yeah, it's 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 phenomenally huge. People thought they were nobodies, but they were already playing to thousands and thousands and thousands of of, ma- of people, you know, massive crowds before Brian Johnson came on. And they kind of knew that the album after Highway to Hell, the one before that, yeah. was going to be kind of huge because Highway to Hell had the song Highway to Hell, which actually probably a lot of people which know. Which is possibly their most famous song. I think probably Back think? in Black will be their most favorite. But okay. uh, fa- favorite famous but um, Highway to Hell is another huge, Highway huge one. Highway to Hell is up there, yeah. Um, and that's that's Bon Scott on that one. And, man, they were just they were just such a bloody good band. And Bon Scott died after Highway to Hell, not long after. Um, he'd always been an alcoholic, and he'd always had loads of problems with alcohol. And um, he died in his car of hypothermia mm. um, when he was drunk um, after a night out. And, and his mate put him in his car, but he died of hypothermia. He got freezing cold and, and died. Oh, my God. Um, however, I, I heard from Nath, and Nath knows a lot about all this stuff, that apparently that was Bond's last send-off for booze because he was going to give it up because he knew the oh. band were really finally t- finally getting somewhere. Oh, that's tragic. And oh, my God. it's really, really sad. Yeah. Um, and the, the album after that was Back in Black, which was a phenomenal album, which they'd already started working on. So it's just a real bloody shame because he was amazing front man, um, ACDC is a really good example of a, a slightly different approach to stagecraft, right? So usually with stagecraft, you have a lead singer who is, I'm the centre of attention, look at me, look at me, I'm the front man, blah, blah, blah. 
In ACDC, you have really quite a static band at the back, and you have Angus Young, the lead guitarist, doing all this running aroundy stuff. And I recommend anyone who doesn't really know much about ACDC, watch the videos, Angus Young running all over the place. And then Bon Scott, he's up the front, and he is a front man, but it's it's a slightly different. They have more of a kind of partner relationship, and he, he knows when to step back and let the lead guitarist go forward. And for me, that's really good, and it shows that they don't have these crappy ego problems, I which totally so agree, many yeah. bands have. You know, I, we've we've seen you know footage from the nineties of, of uh, you know An- Axel Rose and and Slash having goes at each other when they're pissed, but you didn't really get that with ACDC because they just kind of no. had an understanding. And really, my band has always seen that as a blueprint, you know, in how we relate to each other and to avoid all that petty balls. Yeah, um, and that's really important. So anyway, I once worked with a company ACDC. where our motto legit was "Leave your ego at the door." Boom. That Why was not? just what we d- what we would just say. I mean, I think it was one of those ironic things because I would argue that the guy who started that company has a very big ego. Lol. But maybe that was his way of trying to you know improve himself and go. No, I don't. I don't want to be that guy. And at least making the decision to not want to be that guy is is mature in of itself. You know. That's cool. There we go. I want to hear your fourth maligned child. Which child are you putting through the ringer with with your fourth choice? No, this is... Okay, do you remember that I said that the main difference between my number three and my number two is the main kid? Ah, my number ah, two... Okay. My number two musical is Annie. And the main right. reason that Annie is number two and Oliver is number three and not vice versa is because she is incredible. The Boom. little girl Annie... Like, look at how many times that musical has been remade. And it's because it's about this girl who has the odds stacked against her. It's, it's again, it is a very rags to riches story. You're totally right. But you've got this orphan kid who she's got her own issues. Like the, the musical opens with her sat by a window singing about her imaginary parents. And the lyrics <sighs> are like, maybe they're far away maybe real nearby like it's it's just her imagining yeah, yeah. belonging somewhere and it's like betcha he reads betcha she sews it's beautiful but then directly after that um the next thing she does after having her little moment of loss and uh, and loneliness is she protects a younger girl from a bully at the orphanage Aww. like annie is this incredible character that is such a good influence for little girls like you can be tough and kind at the same time yeah. and i love that about annie also it's actually hilarious as a musical uh, but like miss hannigan is so funny and i i understood that she was funny as a kid but then re-watching it as an adult oh my god so you know the basic plot is um a really rich billionaire in the depression decides to let an orphan into his home for a week to make himself look good that orphan ends up being annie and he ends up adopting her right Aww. that's the basic story she teaches him how to love something more than money. Kind Isn't of that thing. nice? So there's a scene where... So Miss Hannigan runs the orphanage and she is this, like, cruel to children but in a kind of child-friendly way. Things like gives them cold porridge. But also with hints that she hits them. But, like, with, with glass shoes. in it. Yeah, <laughs> like, you know, she's not... She's nowhere near as scary as, like, characters like Bill Sykes. But Miss she Trump's is Bill. this kind of... No, she's Bill not like Sykes, that. Geez. You know, but you know, she is yeah. this kind of alcoholic, don't give a shit, lonely, slightly horny woman, and it's so 
funny and I rewatched it as a as a slightly well you know when I started growing up and there's a bit where the big rich man goes to get her to sign adoption papers and she's trying to like seduce him yeah, and yeah. there's one bit where, like she goes oh this way and quickly before he walks in she throws off a dressing gown and grabs a feather boa <laughs> and is like and there's a bit where so a song a duet happens which actually has become one of my favorite Brilliant. moments in the musical and there's this bit where she jumps on him and just goes buy me a ruby and he goes no <laughs> like in that kind of i could but no who is this bitch and it's Love she it. miss hannigan's hilarious tim curry is in it yeah, and yeah. look between between muppets treasure island annie and rocky horror i owe tim curry so much <laughs> and he was amazing in annie now he was a villain he was scary he, he kidnaps annie to get money but he's hilarious right up to that point. Mm. So before it gets too real, he's Miss Hannigan's like um, like swindler brother who's always asking her for money. And But he is so funny and he has this bimbo girlfriend and he becomes scarier than Miss Hannigan at one point because he takes it too far yeah. and and miss hannigan is like look i i wanted to scam them out of money i didn't want to hurt a child and and you know it becomes quite a defining moment for miss hannigan mm. but yeah the characters are so funny the main kid is so scrappy but also all the characters are like this i watched that film so much as a kid that i got i had to start trying to make it interest more interesting again so i used to watch it and pick a different character to watch to focus on all the way through. Who's, so yeah, Pe what's their story? Yeah, exactly. All the way through. And and it, they do really, really well at that. And then again, the, the songs are brilliant. The songs are just fantastic. You've got Never Fully Dressed Without a Smile. Great song. I think I'm going to like it here. That's when she first shows up at this big mansion and has servants. And it really would be most little kids dream. Like, oh my gosh, how fun would that be? be mm. and yeah and the dancing's phenomenal in it actually as well like this again that kid could tap dance like crazy Boom. so yeah that's my number two there we go number I'll two stop saying i didn't mean it i'm I sorry don't wanna, i don't want to see your number two no thanks mate cheers thanks you're lost <laughs> there we go right what's so, your last uh, album my last one number one um so this album I got into pretty much just after it was released, actually, or maybe a year later. Um, this was when kind of the first step to where I'm getting now, whereas I'm more kind of interested in more modern stuff. And this was a band that really bridged that gap for me, and people probably haven't heard of them. Um, but I was super into this album for a really long time. So this is a, an album called Filthy Empire by a band called Heaven's Basement, who... I have no idea why they weren't huge, um, to be honest. It's probably because this was their first album and, you know, um, the singer left after this one, which was a shame. And they did have... Actually, I don't know if it was their first album. They did have a singer before who I think they did some EPs with. Not sure if they made an album. I think this was their first album. Anyway. And, anyway. Um, it's like they'd listened to all those great bands that I've listed before and then they just made something that felt so much more current and so much more alive with the 21st century or at least you know you know moving forward and mm. um oddly enough i don't listen to it as much now um because it's almost like for me a step backwards because but it, for me it bridged that gap in my musical taste to to things i like now like you know 
uh, Atlantis, nothing but thieves and bands like that, you know, that I listen to now. Um, and man, it, it's just really, really good. It was always a shame to me that um, they never got much further. They did really well. There's there's footage of them at download, and 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 um, Aaron Buchanan's the singer, and he's such a good front man. The songwriting's really great. The guitar work's really great but it's not too much it's like you know we've done those huge long guitar solos and now we're gonna actually work it into a song you know and i like yeah. that um you know a song that sounds a bit current and sounds a bit more like people younger than 40 are listening to it because i hmm. i had this problem uh with with hell's gazelles for a long time where you know we didn't see young people at our shows and that's why we ultimately why we decided to take that step back um you know we loved heaven's basement we really wanted to kind of emulate them a bit you know brilliant frontman um great songs every song is like an anthem you know and you listen to that to that album and you can just imagine it on stage at Wembley, Wembley the whole thing and they did most of it on stage at a download festival i think twice um man such a good band and now Aaron Buchanan's left and he's doing Aaron Buchanan and the cult classics which is good um and Sid Glover the guitarist and I think the bassist as well um left and did a band called the Cruel Knives which is another really good band and they're both really good but for me it's all about all about that one album where everything was just right and I think um I'll be honest I think possibly I think it's partially because Aaron Buchanan is is gay and he came out or he he never really was in the closet as far as I know you know people knew about it he just didn't talk about it much and I think maybe he was finding whatever he was in constraining in some way because he's much seems much more open about it now after he's left and it wasn't like no one knew it was just like it wasn't a thing he talked about Mm. so i wonder if there's a thing in that i mean i don't know i just wondered i know that he wasn't getting on with the rest of them and it's just a shame because they made such great music um but you know these things happen and it's good to see people doing new things as well absolutely yeah i'm trying to think about what bridged my music taste i don't really know because i i very much am someone like we said before when it comes to music i go through phases yeah yeah me so too. like I went through a massive like Green Day phase that then spider webbed out into all of that teenage punk rocky music yeah, yeah, that yeah, I yeah. loved and I still love. Um, and then also got more into, you know, yeah, it goes in all sorts of directions. So for me, it's probably hard to say. But That's yeah. That's weird, isn't it? There we go. Awesome. There we go. I, we you, all have phases. Can you guess, do you think, uh, what I've put as my number one childhood musical? So this is one from your childhood. Yes. So I don't know when Hamilton came out. I think that's really Dude, recent. Really, that so really recent. recent. That's like I thought five so. years ago. So I was it's like, I know Hamilton. you love that, and we talked of about course, it but earlier. No, 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 but, no, no, no. Doesn't fit like, into this category. When did that come out? Because uh, I, I, all I knew is like about six months ago. I guess everyone it, was talking about it. Maybe a year it ago. It came out while Obama was. Oh, okay, um, maybe not. Everyone because... started talking about it like a year ago. That's and, because it came to London. Oh, so that's So it was in why. America first. So it was in America first, and they, I don't know how, but their moment of explosion was that they performed a bunch of the songs in the White House oh, right. for the Obamas. It's really weird they, that I didn't know about it before then, but for some reason yeah. it only exploded for me and around people I knew, like mm. relatively recently, and maybe uh, it's because it, it came to London. It exploded for me while I was at Arts Ed, which is now 
two or three years ago and that was because it was transferring to london and everyone i knew was losing their shit maybe it's because it went on like disney plus or something oh that will definitely be a part of it as well yeah, yeah maybe yeah, that's it, it because i didn't i just didn't know about it i, I, I so, yeah. honestly never heard of it before then but i'm trying it's to work out hamilton. what a child there will be a day where you. i talk about all the reasons i love hamilton but it's not today fair enough fair enough i'm trying so, to think number one childhood. childhood musical okay go for it mary poppins oh it's great it's really really Start good that's one of finish. my favorites yeah i i knew it off by heart by the time i was like four and the I'm australian really cockney chimney sweep dick van dyke he hated doing that accent. In fact, when he did Chitty Chitty Mary Bang Popper. Bang, which deserves an honourable mention because I yep. loved it, but he's, he took the part on the condition he wouldn't have to do the English accent again, and that's why he's the only one in Chitty Bang Bang who's American. Yeah, I heard that, yeah. yeah. I heard that. So, Mary Poppins, why do I love it? I think it's, first of all, just start to finish, it's a good film i all the time when i still watch it and i still go oh my god i'm oh my oh this bit's coming up how exciting yeah, at yeah, every yeah. chapter of that movie um julie andrews yet again stunning she's amazing in it and yep. i think it's two just julie got, andrews. pardon two julie andrews ones i know i know i love the woman very Fair much enough. um what was i gonna say it's got the most brilliant combination of magic and real life. Yeah, yeah, that's what makes it so good. It's you've got again, you've got the children who oh it's such a good story because they're they're feeling neglected. They're not hurt, they're not in danger. Yeah, they're not but something isn't right. There's Something not that isn't same class up. issue that you, that you've talked about in you know you know Annie and Oliver Twist and things. No, but but they 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 have the opposite. Yeah, well, they're yeah, they're like a middle class family. They can afford a governess, but their parents are very absent. Yeah. And and there's a there's a whole if you if you haven't seen Saving Mr. Banks, I really would recommend it. Oh, it's I've a movie. That, no. It's a movie about Disney trying to get the rights to Mary Poppins off the woman who wrote it as a novel, and it's about what inspired it. And for the woman who wrote it, it Miss Mary Poppins isn't there to save the children; she's there to save the dad. And oh, it's about right. this. It's about the fact that their dad is so incomplete, and it's re- watch Saving Mr. Banks. It will tell you so That's much. That's really anyway. interesting because because the arc of Mr. Banks's redemption comes because he actually loves his children, and and she helps him realize that. And it's not and about him. And he always did. He always loved them. Like, yeah, there's a he bit- does. He always loves his children, and he is actually kind of doing that. The stuff he's the work he's doing all the time is for them, which is actually Absolutely. a trap that a lot of people, particularly men in that era, but a lot of people fell into. Absolutely, and yeah, his ideas of what his role as a dad is were outdated. And yeah. there's a scene that breaks my heart, which is uh, towards the end of it, where he's feeling sorry for himself and Bert sings to him um oh absolutely you shouldn't have to take your own yeah, children yeah. On, on an outing yeah. and he sings things like when the little tykes are crying you don't have time to dry their tears no. and there's a lyric oh where he says um you've got a grind 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 at that grindstone again the work ethic yeah. and then he says though childhood um though childhood falls like sand through a sieve and all too soon they've up and flown grown and then they've flown hmm. and it's too late for you to give then he's like bye governor and it's like oh yeah, and yeah, as yeah. a child i understood the message that they were telling and you've got the again these juxtapositions between going into the the picture and dancing with penguins and going to the bank and 
it's the the banking world doesn't work for children children no. don't care about that you know the, the metaphor of feed the birds is really beautiful it's about poverty it's about you know what don't take your tuppence and try and turn it into pounds for yourself take your tuppence and help someone with it mm. and the, so the messages were so accessible to also, children musically and really beautiful musically and clever stunning. clever as well Really start clever. again start Close to finish your eyes don't stay awake that's the yep. wrong tune but you know stay um, awake don't rest your head a lullaby um, so telling lullaby. you to stay awake just really clever that's just yeah feed the well yeah she's she's a woman of opposites you know she goes up the staircase doesn't she she doesn't yeah, she's slide also down definitely the a time lady Oh yeah. Oh, there's all sorts of theories yeah, about that. I love that. But she's but like again, I used to be a little kid in my bedroom. When I had to tidy my room, my mum would go turn it into a game like Mary Poppins says do. And um I used to try and make things magically get put away by clicking at them and things like that, because I just wanted it to be real so badly. And yeah, again, that message in every job that must be done, there is an element of fun. You find the fun and snap the job's a game. <laughs> I like, love that what? you did did that with the finger clicking, because I did that with the force. But continue. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's fair. That is very Ta-da. fair. But yeah, yeah. just like every single song. My mum and I used to love the tea party on the ceiling. How creative. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. With the I love to laugh song. A whole song about the joy of yeah, laughter. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's about injecting joy into these children's all lives. That, all that surrealist stuff was so oh. fun. And they were, and the blurring between reality and, and fantasy. Yes. And trying to capture you know, what it is to be a child in this strange world that doesn't and make sense to you anyway. And also what it is to be an adult. That's the yeah. thing. It does It does both. I was angry at the dad at points and I felt sorry for him at points when he loses his job and, you know, all of those things. It was just, I just think it's an absolute I just love the, the weird neighbours with the cannon. <laughs> oh my God, yeah. Post everyone. Like, why? It's so eccentric. It's eccentric to be the perfect all, word holding everything onto the walls. Holding everything in I place. I forgot about that. God, I haven't watched that in so long. Oh, I, um, I love it. I, for me, you know, the, the classic Disney musicals are... I, again, I, I'm... I didn't include I, I Disney think, on purpose. I think I, mean, I just I love... I Disney, but... I think I just... I'm, I suppose it's probably nostalgia. Yeah. But I, I think it's more nostalgia for who I was when I was younger. But, but there's some... I love things that come from... Times when I weren't wasn't alive, weirdly. I don't know why that is. So for me, like, um, bed knobs and broomsticks is one that I utterly love. Fucking and, love that um, film. I love uh Mary Poppins. Um and uh, I also, you know, things like um uh Lion King came out when I was really young, but I for some reason the older Disney stuff for me always hit in a certain way. The 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 more modern stuff, like in the kind of CG era kind of just doesn't, doesn't quite the same yeah. do it like Absolutely. people people go on about frozen as when everyone loved frozen so much i love that kids loved frozen i really love it and the same yeah. with moana i really really love it but for me it's just not like the same as no. like lion king and things like that but Absolutely. i think that's just because i was a child then but lion king specifically is so good but i um, purposefully you know, didn't want to is... include the disney animation movies because yeah. that's a whole other thing i might do that as a separate top yeah five, do that as yeah, disney animation films king, yeah yeah that's because gonna be like separate. aladdin and and you know exactly all these exactly. amazing ones i love hercules Oh, I, I love, love Hercules. Hercules. Yeah, well, this is it. That's basically, basically said my top the, five. Um, the other one is Mulan. And I will find my way. I can go the I distance. Go I love the that distance. song. Beautiful I love song. That song. Um, so cute story Mulan's about great. Mary Poppins was um, once I, uh, with um, 
the boyfriend I live with now, there was a point where I was feeling really unwell and I was still living at my parents' house and he came over and he was like, honey, you pick the film. And I went, Mary Poppins? And I saw his <laughs> face kind of go, oh, fuck's sake. And I went, okay, don't worry, don't worry. We don't have to watch it. I'm sorry, I, sh- I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry, I know you won't like it. Don't worry. And then I went to like make myself a tea or something. And then I went into the living room and he'd put it on. And I he saw like the transformation I go through when I watch it. I became this excited child Aww. on my sat on the sofa sat on the carpet rather like following it and he was like you have noticeably perked up because Aww. of that film that it's just oh it's brilliant it's an absolute masterpiece i love it yeah i, I loved um i used to watch that one loads as a kid i watched um and i loved just Chitty bang bang that was a really so really I. good one so um, do i yeah. again the, i love the ones where they mix in that surrealism stuff like so Chitty yeah. Chitty bang bang is one of those and um and yeah, Ben Hobbs and Broomsticks is another, yeah, broomsticks totally. is another one, which has the same, um, what's his face? Man. Same guy, same guy. Yeah, yeah. So um, Ben Hobbs and Broomsticks is the dad from um, Mary Poppins and Chitty Bang Bang is Dick Van Dyke. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. They all so spread there out. We they go. can. They obviously could. They considered Julie Andrews for truly scrumptious, and I can't remember why, but it didn't happen. I think because they were like, we're doing this a bit too much. Yeah, that's probably fair. <laughs> Interestingly, you can tell that um, the guy wrote James Bond wrote it, can you? Because all the women's names are like that in James Bond. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. uh, Ian Fleming um, wrote, wrote Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, didn't he? Pretty damn certain. I didn't know that. Yeah, oh, wow, I'm going to Google enough. that as we yeah, sit please, here. Please but but all the women's names the... in, like, yeah. you know, On a Top and things like that. Oxford. And Pussy Galore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but also, they make it sweet that her name is Truly Scrumptious. And they sing the song um truly scrumptious and i that was one of my favorites for years yeah i mean some honorary yes. mentions that he didn't make this, my top Ch- five bang bang. i don't know why oh, i even questioned it my honorary mentions that didn't make the top five would definitely include chitty bang bang bed and broomsticks wizard of oz absolutely fantastic musical i don't know if i've seen it all the way through i find Are it a bit you weird fucking kidding me cole i find it a bit creepy it is a bit creepy, but which is part I think, of oh, it. Which is part of it. It's, it's, it's the same way why I find Alice in Wonderland just I find it really very strange. Yeah. Um, the story. I mean, I, I I don't think I've seen the film, but I just find it a bit oh something just something unsettling about it. Though the music in um in Wizard of Oz is phenomenally good. It is beautiful. That's the thing. I nearly put that in my top five, but then the more I went, oh, but what about? But what about? But what, like it, it started off in the top five, and then it had to get bumped. But it's it's a stunning Boom. musical. It's there we so go. good. Um, so I think that's us basically done for today, Carl. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed our ranks of uh, musicals and albums that we loved growing up yep. and influenced us Boom. massively and have a good week of course if you want to get in touch it's riffsandscripts at gmail.com feel free to you know agree with us disagree with us suggest topics send funny stories whatever you want yeah, we I th- don't I mind think especially feel free to agree with us that's why oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's the message i want just tell i'm us right how great we all are. the time unless i'm wrong in which case i just didn't have all the information that's that's exactly <laughs> yeah if i'm wrong it's not my fault it's someone else's fault. if i'm right anyway. though it's all me that was yeah absolutely 100 percent. anyway take care you guys and we'll see you next week Bye-bye. bye there Ooh, we go i'm ready for your number Boom. two mate oh god that's disgusting but <laughs> um <laughs> not that kind of girl ready for my number two cleveland steamer on the way jesus christ <laughs> oh god we have to cut that out blimey that's going to the extra section <laughs> um <laughs>